Well, babe, we did it. We wrote a book. Yeah, man, it's it's actually surreal to even think about uh, that we wrote a book, had a baby, got married, not necessarily in that order. <laughs> <laughs> but the book is now available yeah. for pre-order, and we're so excited to share it with you. Oh, so looking forward to getting this book into your hands, to be in dialogue and conversation with all of you as we continue to liberate love from old imprints and codependent dynamics that keep us small, stuck, and stagnant. Yeah, you know, no matter your relationship status, this book walks you through what shaped you, why do you do what you do in relationship. It dives deep into your relationship blueprint, attachment styles, and most importantly, which is different than every other book that's ever covered codependency in the past, we explore the role of the nervous system in that. And the book is called Liberated Love. Yeah. Release your codependent patterns and create the love you desire. Go to createthelove.com slash liberated love to order your copy now. That's createthelove.com slash liberated love and get that pre-order in and you'll be able to get a free download of a meditation we created and a workbook that goes along with it. Much love and appreciation for your support. Much love. Thank you. I love the fact that there's so much social change and so much chaos right now. I know it's hard. It's horrible for many people, but you know what? Life has always had horrible aspects. And right now you really are freer, maybe than ever before, to say, I'm not going to live according to hierarchical socioeconomic systems. I don't like this. Hi, I'm Mark Groves. I'm a human connection specialist and founder of Create the Love. At an early point in my life, I became obsessed with understanding relationships, the intricacies of how people connect. And through this exploration, I have created a life and a business dedicated to learning out loud and exploring how we interact with each other and the world. This podcast brings the world's top thought leaders, spiritual luminaries, physicians, scientists, researchers, best-selling authors, and health and wellness experts under one roof to discuss the good, the bad, the messy, and of course, the beautiful parts of the human experience. Welcome to the Mark Groves Podcast. I can't wait to dive in with you. It is my great honor to welcome you, Martha, back to the podcast. It is my great honor to be here. Thank you. You know, I think this might be one of the fastest experiences of manifestation I've ever had. Like someone recommended your book to me. You were in my ears. I was shouting, hell yeah. My fiance was like, what are you, (laughs) why are you so excited? What are you listening to? And uh, your book, The Way of Integrity came into my life in a time where I was trying to, you know, as someone who my mission has always been to sort of oscillate around the information I get to grow and move towards what is the ever evolving space of integrity. Uh, and your words just felt like uh, a journey home or like a map. So I really appreciate what you've put. That makes out. me so happy, Mark. That is uh, like, I can die happy right now, but it wouldn't make a good <laughs> podcast or it would make a really good podcast. I don't know. It would definitely get some news. Martha Beck dies live on a podcast with Mark Groves. Um, And, you know, I really found what was so nice about your book is that, and your work, because I've dove so much more into that since getting your book, is that there's like a gentle calling out, but it's also not gentle sometimes. Like, it's like, you know, stop fucking around, pardon my language, stop messing around, you know, so answer the call. Because if you don't, there's a cost. 
Yeah, I don't like the whole everything's going to go fine all the time, every single minute of your day. That to me, that's very American. I'm sorry, it sounds like I'm anti-American, but it's it's a little bit. It's a place of privilege. It's you know, it really speaks to not grappling with the world the way it really is. And let me tell you, I have never met a person, rich or poor, who did not have a tough road to hoe. It's just a difficult planet, but I figure that's why we're here. Well, yeah, and your journey is just so incredible because no one can say that you didn't have to crawl through the real tearing away of who you're taught to be to allow yourself to become. And maybe you could speak a bit to sort of the origin story of your expansion because you didn't start out teaching this stuff. No. Yeah, so maybe you could share a bit of your journey with with everybody. Yeah, so um, I was born into a life world religion, Mormonism, which is, and it was a very, my family was in the heart of Mormon country. And my father was an important person in the church. And that, when I say life world, that means a religion that fills your entire brain. It's not just about going to church on Sunday. It's about every single, you're told to control every thought. And when you're three years old, you're like, that doesn't sound creepy at all. Let's do it. (laughs) Um, So you absorb that. And I did that. And then at 17, I went off to Harvard just because um, I heard it was a good thing to do. And I got in sort of by accident. You could not find a more different environment from Mormon Utah than Cambridge, Massachusetts, especially Harvard. And I always make my friends like drink a shot whenever I say I went to Harvard. Immediately, I started confronting a lot of uh, information that made my home religion look bad. So I just thought, oh, that's fine. I'll be Mormon in Utah and an atheist in Cambridge. No problem. Because <laughs> I didn't understand that integrity means to be whole, one thing, intact. And when you split yourself, you be, you're in duplicity. Mm-hmm. I was just going along to get along. I was a teenager. So then um, went through, got stayed at Harvard for master's, then got a doctorate. And I got married and had a daughter during that time. And then my second child, a son, was diagnosed with Down syndrome when I was just about six months pregnant. I was only 25. It was a real shock. And all of the doctors at the Harvard University Health Clinic said I really needed to terminate the pregnancy very late. And I am pro-choice, but I'd already bonded with the Mm -hmm. baby. And I just, that was just not an option for me. And they told me it was like having a malignant tumor and refusing to let them take it out. And uh, my advisors told me I was throwing my life away. And I always say they were completely right. But the life I threw away sucked. (laughs) I hated it. I was grasping and clawing and trying to be approved of by absolutely everyone in all these, you know, mutually exclusive ways. So that really made me think, what is life about? Like, what is this life I'm bringing into the world mm-hmm. all about? Because he's not an intellectual. He never will be. And that's sort of where I'm living. So I had to peel back all the parts of our society that say it's all about intellect. It's all about competition. It's all about success. And I came to believe that it's actually all about joy. Because when I did not experience joy, my life did not feel worth living. And if this child could experience great joy, then his life would be worth living. And I didn't know that for sure, but I was willing to take a gamble. And it really split me from the whole Harvard mindset where I'd been since I was, by this time I was in my late 20s. I'd been there almost half my life. So yeah, then I moved back to Utah thinking, 
they'll agree with me. And they did. They were, they firmly agreed with my decision not to terminate that pregnancy. But they also lived a belief system that I tried to join in and found completely unlivable. I, it was toxic to me, actually. So I ended up doing the one thing a Mormon can do that is actually worse than murder in the eyes of all my family, all my relatives, all my friends before the age of 17. I left the Mormon church. And I'm destined to spin in outer darkness forever and ever. If the Mormons are right, we don't know yet. (laughs) (laughs) But I will say I've been much happier since then. Then I wrote a book about that. And I was told I was the Antichrist. And I got death threats. And someone killed the plants in my yard and threatened my kids. And I mean, it was just, it was ridiculous. It was 100% worth it to get my integrity back. To be one person, the same person in all the parts of my life. That made me whole. So that's what I wrote about in this book is the, that, I mean, it's a biblical saying, what does it profit you if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul? Your soul is better. That's my position. It's interesting, the paradox or the ability to contrast your experience in Cambridge versus your experience in, in Utah, because you don't even realize the split is sort of indoctrinated till you experience some sense of liberation or some sense of of other possibility like when was the moment you recognized the split was having an impact on you psychologically emotionally physically well i was a complete wreck after my freshman year at harvard because basically i went all the way from i've got a really structured rigid way to live but i can please everybody all the way to this is pointless what am i doing why don't we all just kill ourselves wow <laughs> and yeah, and so that was a that was a notable occurrence, but I was still too deep in it to understand what was happening to me and I was too young. So I took a year off and I read I started with like the pre-Socratic philosophers and I read wow. all this philosophy. And when I got to Immanuel Kant who says everything is subjective because it's all filtered through our perceptions so we can't ultimately know what's true it was like my mind exploded boom and i that was my first experience of really deep liberation where i, I let go of everything and that's probably why i didn't terminate that pregnancy is that i had stepped outside that thing that says you have to think this way or you have to think that way and i realized nobody's the authority figure for my life except me i, I have to go to my inner self i have to go to some numinous force whatever it is um, it's up to me. And that I think is one of the biggest wake up calls a human can have. Yeah. To be able to wake up to the, of being the authority over your own life. That seems to come in people's life situations when there's a truth that they know that's almost like a DNA inscribed value or a DNA inscribed knowing. And to actually abandon that, which I think we do often before we don't. There's often, I think, subtle sort of DNA scriptures. But the big (laughs) ones, you know, like the big ones that that like your bond with your child and what you're being told about your child versus what your body is knowing, your heart is knowing, your soul is knowing. As you claimed that or like really stood in that truth, was that when things, you know, you were telling a bit about that story. I'm curious from a psychological soul, I guess, level. Is that when other truths started to really fall away? Like, I know you said before you had the awareness, you know, that everything's put through the perception of your own thoughts, your own conditioning, your own beliefs. Was that because when you went back to to Utah and you're like, oh, I can 
maybe go back to living as a Mormon, you're like, hell no, like this just can't work. Well, I left out part of the story. And it's funny because I left it out for the very same reason that we're talking about, that our culture doesn't really believe that this can happen. And so I don't often mention it. But the weirdest thing about that pregnancy was that even before I knew I was pregnant, from the moment my son was conceived, I started having psychic experiences. That's and this right. is I after, yeah, this like after eight years at Harvard, I was not a fan. Like I'd never read a new age book or gone to a psychic <laughs> or anything like that. Yeah. Not nowhere close. I mean, that was evil to the Mormons and stupid to the Harvard folks. So drink. <laughs> but it was happening. My then husband was traveling back and forth between the US and Singapore. And I would often, when he was gone, see things in these intense flashes that were really unusual. And then we'd talk later on the phone and he would say, oh, you wouldn't believe what I saw today. And it would be the thing I had seen. Like wow. one time it was a, there was a festival going on. He was going through Japan and there was a festival and all these beautiful colored streamers were everywhere, like all of Tokyo. And it was like mesmerizingly beautiful. And it came to me like, wham, in the middle of the night, I just woke up and there it was. And then he told me about it another time. He flew over a lightning storm in an airplane and, and looked down and watched the lightning dancing through the clouds. And I woke up and saw that too. Or maybe it was in the day. I don't remember. Anyway, they checked out. Wow. So what was I supposed to do with that? I actually was trapped in a burning high rise um, not long before the diagnosis. I had my 18 month old and the, I, we lived on the 10th floor of a high rise building. And in the basement was a grocery store. Well, the grocery store caught fire. And nobody knew where the fire was, but the fact that it was in the basement meant that it filled the exit stairways with smoke completely. Oh, wow. So there was no get below the smoke so you can breathe or whatever. I, I started into the smoke, took one breath. After five or six flights, uh, pregnant, carrying my daughter, I couldn't help it. I tried to breathe in again. And it, there was no oxygen. It was like my lungs filled with needles, no oxygen. And I started to black out and I, somebody, there were people running in the dark. You couldn't see your hand in front of your face. And I got pushed into the wall and I got bumped and I slid down the wall and I was trying to push my daughter out where someone would accidentally kick her and find out that it was a child and get her down the stairs. Cause I was, I was on the way out. And then somebody came around behind me and grabbed me by the, under my arms and yanked me to my feet and frog marched me down the stairs and out into the into the light. And I came out coughing and gasping and retching. And I looked around for him and he wasn't there. I figured he was a fireman. There were firemen everywhere. And someone took TV footage of this. It was a big fire. And I saw the TV footage of my, I was at a friend's house that night. I watched myself come out of that smoke with my daughter and there was no one behind me. But that is the only way I was standing up was that someone was holding me up. The moment that disappeared, I fell down. So I was standing up on yeah. camera with no one behind me. I had to deal with that. So then you go back to Utah <laughs> and they're like, that stuff's not real. Just believe in your God. Based on the time of year and what's going on in the world, I am all about making sure that my immune system is operating at its best. I want to make sure that it is in tip-top shape so that whatever it might meet, it is able to fight off. And so one of the ways I do that is I use Organifi Immunity. 
It's 100% organic. It's got 500% of your recommended daily dose of vitamin C, and that vitamin C is sourced from organic cherries. It contains the immune-boosting power of ginger, turmeric, and also zinc. It is gluten-free, dairy-free, soy-free, vegan, all of those things. And as I said, 100% organic. And it also has a vegan source of D3 from lichen moss. And that provides 1,000 international units of vitamin C, which is 188% of our daily recommended dose. Vitamin D is so important to modulate innate and adaptive immunity. So if you're interested in giving your immune system a boost and a little bit of extra oomph in order to fight off what might come towards you this season, check out Organifi.com slash create the love. You get 20% off anything you order from there. They have such incredible products. I love them as a brand. I love them as a culture. I love them as a company. Go check them out now. I went the other way. I was like, anything is possible. We don't know what's true, but like all these crazy magical things can happen. Maybe the crazy Mormons are right. Maybe, you know, every man does get his own planet. Who knows? So I really tried to not be biased against it. I was trying to eat a humble pie. But then it just got nuts, Mark. I mean, if you've ever seen the musical, The Book of Mormon on Broadway or heard the score, they don't even have to exaggerate to make it hilarious. (laughs) Sorry to all you lovely Mormon people out there. It didn't work. And I was still, I was a sociologist by that point. I'd learned to think things through and the evidence did not bear out the Mormon way of life. Plus, my father was one of the biggest apologists in the church's history, a scholar who defended the church. And I started having memories of him abusing me and then reading some of his books and having his research assistants tell me he was making up everything, footnotes, stuff that he put out there as truth. He was actually just inventing. That shook things up a little too. Yeah. So there went my family. They weren't happy about that. That's because it rattled the church in a way that it wouldn't have if my father had not been so prominent. So it was interesting. And when you threaten people's religion, especially people who have two years supply of food and ammunition in their basements, they can get a little feisty. The leaving and then the speaking of your process about leaving I found really yeah. fascinating. I haven't read your book, which I think it was it called Leaving the Saints. Leaving the Saints, yeah. Yeah, which beautifully titled. And I look forward to reading it because having grown up with so many Mormons, also I have some really good friends who are former Jehovah's Witnesses. I grew up Catholic. I consider myself a recovering Catholic. It was <laughs> this contrast between the belief system and and just a knowing that there's an unconditional love yeah. here. And the religion in my experience wasn't teaching unconditional love. They were actually teaching many conditions. And though not living in those conditions was actually becoming such a source of shame Mm. for so many. And, you know, I know a lot of uh, former Mormons, Mm. a lot of the men that I know, it manifested in addictions to pornography. It manifested in, in substance issues. Just in the way that you spoke about it, because I thought, man, like with your father being in the church, you're getting into wholeness, getting into integrity, restoring that actually required sort of going against what biology might program you to never yeah. do. Like, yeah. how did you find the courage to even, because you're going against a system and then you're destabilizing people's, what is the facade of their spiritual connection? Not to say they don't mm-hmm. have one, but mm-hmm. it's it's a, it's a man-made construct or a human-made construct of how yeah. spirituality should look. How did you do that? Did you not have a choice at that point? Like, was that the alternative? No, I, w- I was making a choice. I yeah. knew I had a choice. 
But I was so, after all those experiences with my son and because my heart was broken, because even though I wanted to keep him, I was not happy about his disability or different abilities. So I was, and, and then I had these psychic experiences. So I was looking for comfort in that way. And I was doing everything I could to try to put myself in line so that I could find if there was some sort of truth in the universe, how could I find it? So the year I turned 29, I made a New Year's resolution that I wouldn't tell a single lie for a whole year. And I kept that resolution. And in that year, I walked away from or lost my um, my family of origin, my, all my friends from up to 17, uh, my community, my home, my job. I quit my job. My profession realized I didn't want to do academia after getting a PhD, which is such a marketable skill. My home, we were living in Utah. I moved, um, realized I was gay. So there went my marriage. Like it was a, it was an eventful year, Mark. <laughs> yeah. Telling the truth requires action. It sounds like. I know in the book you invite that exercise, just try it on for a week. Yeah. Don't try not lying for a couple of days, you know, just see how it works. But I actually don't recommend people do what I did. It's really harsh. The thing is that I was so split from myself that the suffering was incredibly intense. So what I believe is that when we're whole, there's a sense of truth in us. And you were talking about this sense of having come home to your own truth. I call it the sense of truth in the book. And just so your listeners can get a feel for it, I've worked with many, many people all over the world. And the one thing that makes people feel their sense of truth more than any other thing is the statement, I am meant to live in peace. Mm. Listeners out there, if you just repeat that a couple of times, I am meant to live in peace. I am meant to live in peace. And see how it affects your body, your mood, like everything. Start. It just settles in this sort of, whew, it feels like a puzzle piece fitting in the right way. When you're torn away from that, That, I believe, is the source of all psychological suffering when you lose your sense of truth or give it away. So I was in, I had given away my truth to everything. I was just a people pleaser. I needed to get it back. And it really, truly didn't matter what it cost. And that's why I did something so radical. And then, like 30 years later, say to people, go slow. (laughs) It'll be okay. Take it easy. You don't need to do that. Your book invites that process so beautifully. I love the meditations in it too. Like I found the one imagining the part of ourself who's liberated and excited. And, uh, and then on the other hand, imagining the part that's the people pleaser, the da, 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 da. And I thought that was such a cool exercise. And for all of you listening buy the book, because it's <laughs> worth all the exercises and all the things and the story and the narrative, it's just inspiring. And the wow. exercise where you imagine that the people you love take a magic potion that makes them love you living in your truth. And you take a magic potion that makes you give zero shits anymore about <laughs> yeah, people's right. thoughts, feelings, and opinions. And what a beautiful, I felt that contrast of in the meditation, you have us experience the feeling of the collapse and the people pleasing, and then move back into this peace sense of peace and freedom. And it really gave me the somatic experience of of what you were speaking of, which I know is the intention of the meditation. So well done because it completely Thank worked. you. If anybody out there is one, a quick version you can do right now is yeah. just write yourself a letter that you wish you would get from the person whose approval you want most and write it like, go for it. Be so absolutely out there emotionally. Like just say, I love you. I want you to prosper. Everything you wish you could hear. And then go up to the top of that letter, scratch out their name and put your own in there. 
because that's who needs to give you that speech. It's so powerful. It's interesting that we are all generally, because we're taught that authority lives outside of us, and that's sort of the patriarchal structure of religion, our society, all the things, that we live our lives and our relationships constantly seeking permission to actually be ourselves. Right. I love the fact that there's so much social change and so much chaos right now. I know it's hard. It's horrible for many people, but you know what? Life has always had horrible aspects. And right now you really are freer, maybe than ever before, to say, I'm not going to live according to patriarchal or hierarchical socioeconomic systems. I don't like this. There was no such thing as a job 200 years ago. For 100,000 years, humans existed without one. Why do I need this? I love the quiet quitting that's going on where people just aren't going back to the office after the pandemic because they realized it doesn't have to work that way. It doesn't have to be that way. So by being stuck between two very different cultures and then studying Asian cultures as well, that was a huge part of my own awakening, Um, this, this way of pursuing one's own liberation that did not have dogma, that did not have hopes or prophets or whatever. It was just somebody saying, go inside. As Lao Tzu says in the Tao Te Ching, um, how do you know what what's true? Go inside yourself and check. It's that simple. Uh, <laughs> it's so easy. It's easy and it's hard. I mean, I start the whole book with Dante wandering around at the beginning of the Divine Comedy. And that poem starts out, Uh, In the middle of my life, I came to myself in a place that I didn't know, and it was dark, and it was horrible, and it was murky, and I'd lost the right way, and he couldn't find it again. Once you've lost something, lost your track, it's really hard to find it again, and he tried to climb out of it by climbing a mountain, but then uh, a teacher showed up and said, no, actually, you have to go through hell, (laughs) (laughs) which I identified with very strongly. Um, and really the way out is through, you go into your own suffering, the suffering of being split from your truth. And that's where you find the truth, um, right at the bottom of hell. And it's suddenly when Dante gets to the very core of the earth, he goes down, 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 things get worse, worse, worse. And then when he gets to the middle of the, of the globe, his guide says, you have to keep going. And he keeps going, but then he has to turn as he passes the center of the earth because now down is up. Mm-hmm. he's moving in the same direction but going toward the surface and the last part of the inferno says i came out and once again beheld the stars and from there it's all good from there there's no more, more suffering so he's already really liberated at that point even though he has a lot more to tell us and uh, it's a cool poem it's a psychological it's like therapy in disguise mm-hmm. you don't have to read it i don't think you i'm talking to other people now nah. Don't worry. (laughs) Just like get the general gist of it and it'll be wonderful. Based on the time of year and what's going on in the world, I am all about making sure that my immune system is operating at its best. I want to make sure that it is in tip top shape so that whatever it might meet, it is able to fight off. And so one of the ways I do that is I use Organifi Immunity. It's 100% organic. It's got 500% of your recommended daily dose of vitamin C. And that vitamin C is sourced from organic cherries. It contains the immune-boosting power of ginger, turmeric, and also zinc. 
It is gluten-free, dairy-free, soy-free, vegan, all of those things. And as I said, 100% organic. And it also has a vegan source of D3 from lichen moss. And that provides 1,000 international units of vitamin C, which is 188% of our daily recommended dose. Vitamin D is so important to modulate innate and adaptive immunity. So if you're interested in giving your immune system a boost and a little bit of extra oomph in order to fight off what might come towards you this season, check out Organifi.com slash create the love. You get 20% off anything you order from there. They have such incredible products. I love them as a brand. I love them as a culture. I love them as a company. Go check them out now. Yeah, in the book, you walk through each different part of it as you teach a different lesson. And, you know, I've often thought because of my own life experience that we're usually sort of one or two giant decisions away from rejoining ourselves. So do you have one right now? Like, are you in your... I was in one. I'm feeling aligned now because I read your book and that called me out. And then I didn't have a choice because once I have awareness of a split, I felt the split before I was aware of the split because the split just kept getting fed. Yeah, that's typical. Yeah. And then in reading your book, which was, you know, as you say in the book, when you make a declaration or have an awareness, a teacher arrives and your book was really, I was laughing in that moment because your book had arrived when I had asked the question. Yeah. A really good friend of mine, Kristen Hallett sent it to me. And because I'd been speaking more publicly about the feeling of, of being split that, you know, in the last three years, I've felt that there hasn't been a lot of dialogue or discourse about what's going on in the world. And we're not allowed to criticize or or question things. And I used to be a pharmaceutical rep for 14 years. Like I study human behavior and I saw this sort of perfect marriage of these two avenues of perception that I just wanted to explore subjects. But then I found people, their reactivity saying, don't ask these questions. Don't do these things. You're a bad person. I felt all the things that have fueled my liberation previously were happening again. And I, you know, I I had to choose either abandon myself and maintain the perception of belonging or choose myself and belong to me. Absolutely. And that what you just described, a pattern of behavior that takes you away from yourself, that gets socialized into you. Every baby is born in total integrity. Mm -hmm. And the only reason we would ever leave our integrity, which is a painful experience, is that we're taught to. Sometimes we have a big trauma, like fall off a boat or something like that's not human caused. Most of the time we split from ourselves because of the cultural pressures in our family and our community. So it's like nature on one side, culture on the other. And because we're so dependent as babies, what happens when people try to push us away from our nature and go with culture is that we sell out hard. (laughs) We go straight for the culture to survive. It's an innocent mistake. Everybody seems to know things. And then you get to be a grown-up and go, oh, my gosh, <laughs> nobody knows anything. Right. What do I do now? I'm going to have to find my integrity again. And I left it when I was three months old. So, yeah, it's a, it's a perfectly innocent mistake. And people lose their integrity because they're trying to be good much more often than because they're bad. I love what you said about um, the, the awareness of the split came before like the pain of the split came before the mental acknowledgement of it. Cause that's what it feels like. Um, there's a list. Uh, if you've lost your purpose, lost your way, first you'll feel bad moods, anger, depression, whatever shows up for you. Then you'll start to get sick, physically sick. I mean, you cannot lie, keep a secret or go off your true path without getting sick 
really fast. Then if you still don't pay attention, things start going wrong in your relationships. Then things go wrong in your career. Oh, the very first thing I left out was a loss of a sense of purpose. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't sound as bad as the others, but it's actually the one that's the most painful because if you don't know your purpose, then why be here at all? That's what I was asking as a teenager. Without your integrity, there is no purpose. But when you come back to yourself, that feeling of the truth settling in your body and in your life is just pure joy. It's like a delicious meal after you're really hungry or rain when there's been drought. It is so sweet and so beautiful that you can go, all right, it was actually worth going through hell to get to my truth. And now I have to live it and that will be hard, (laughs) but it will, I'm never going to leave this. That's what I said. I'm not going to leave this state, not on purpose. And when I leave it accidentally, I'll spot it because it will cause suffering and I'll find the the place where I'm lying to myself and I'll fix it. Yeah, that has been, because when I found alignment, I found that sense of home and then I found that sense of peace. And then as I've grown and changed and life has occurred and things have lit passions in me, I wasn't allowing my identity or what I thought was formerly peace and alignment to shift and move mm-hmm. as my integrity. Yeah. I thought it was one thing and then you're done. And then yes. wouldn't that be nice? That'd be nice. It's so interesting because when Dante like has to go live his truth, once, he, once he's been through hell, he has to go live the truth. He climbs this mountain. And after he's really brought himself into integrity, he is dunked two times in a magical river. And on one side, it makes him forget everything he's ever done wrong. And the other side makes him remember everything he ever did right. I'd love your listeners to just imagine what it would be to forget what you've done wrong and then remember what you've done right and only have that. But the point is that it's a river. It's flowing. It's moving. It's never static. The truth flows. Our lives flow. You're right job today might not be the job you're meant to have next year. The relationship you're in right now may not be the relationship you're meant to have. You can leave social institutions and be happy, but you cannot leave your life's purpose or your integrity and be happy. When we look around at the world, I think one of the challenges is that normality is often self-abandonment. Like main, oh yeah, right. for sure. I have a friend who got divorced in his late twenties. He was one of the first friends of ours to get married, and his wife cheated on him. And I remember him saying to me, "People leave jobs or people leave relationships, but he didn't leave one. He got left." And hmm. he said, "What was really interesting about that is he felt like he was standing on a subway platform, and he'd been kicked off the train standing on the platform, watching the huh. train move by him." With Mm. all the people living their lives and all the people getting married and all the people having kids and all the people doing the certain job. And he said it was the first time he ever had the perspective, not by his choice, but on some unconscious level, that he got to see that he was just ticking boxes. And he felt so Mm. liberated, but he didn't know betrayal could be so liberating. Oh, that's really, really a great example. And and it really, I mean, when I realized there are no grownups, I'm the grownup in my life, it felt at first so lonely. Oh, I'm so lonely. I'm so isolated. And if you just turn it a quarter inch and look at it from a slightly different angle, it becomes, I am completely free. I am absolutely free. And as the Buddha used to say, when you find a body of water, you know it's the ocean if it tastes of salt, because the, the ocean always tastes of salt. And wherever you find your own liberation, 
uh, you can always recognize it no matter what form it takes because it will always feel like freedom. And that's another thing. When, when I ask people, one of the things I do to help people find their way back to their true selves is like make a list of the things you want to achieve. That's very life coachy, right? And then I just push the list over to the side and I say, now tell me when you wake up in the middle of the night, what do you yearn for? And the lists have all kinds of objects and job titles and relationships written down. But the yearning is always just a few things. Peace, freedom, joy, belonging, meaning. And, and I've asked this of people who are beggars on the streets of Nairobi or homeless people in Phoenix, where I used to go teach at the methadone clinic, or billionaires. Like, it's always the same. Mm-hmm. So, and, and that is, you lose that if you leave your own, own truth, no matter what you gain. And you get it back when you reclaim your own truth, no matter what you lose. Weirdly, it's not easy at all, but it's actually very simple. Yeah, it just requires courage. Yeah. Dante's always getting told by his guide, you've got to just banish your cowardice. Or as one of my friends, uh, Byron Katie, I don't know if people have heard of her. She was just on the podcast. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She said to me one time, you have to be a traitor to your suffering. Ugh. To betray your own sorrow, betray your own fear, and do exactly what it what you want in your heart. That's so good. She's powerful. I, I remember in your book, I felt so much synchronicity because I had interviewed her and I had done her work wow. years ago, but I had interviewed her and I was listening to your book and you talk about this moment where you do the work mm-hmm. about your experience of writing Leaving the Saints. Yeah. And that shift, I have to tell you the flip that you did on something bad's going to happen to me and it flipped mm-hmm. to I'm going to happen to something bad. Um, For people listening, that Martha was concerned that if she wrote that in writing this book, something bad would occur. And in the work by Byron Katie, you have to flip the thoughts you have. And that flip to I'm going to happen to something bad. And, you know, you shared that you saw a vision of just all the young women, right? Is that right? I didn't get a vision of young women. I was on a plane and this was after I had gotten serious death threats. Like I, there were two detectives working to track them down. They weren't nothing. And I kept thinking something terrible is going to happen to me because I wrote that book and I did the Byron Katie work. And as you said, I flipped it to, I'm going to happen to something terrible. And what happened then was that everywhere I went, I would see these young women and one really powerful experience I had because they were all so angry at me when it was, and it was my family. And for a people pleaser to have everybody angry yeah. at you, it's really hard. That's hell. That's the hell. Hell is when you're trying to please them. Oh, actually. good point. Very good point. <laughs> it's just the hero saga when they hate you. But the one thing I really couldn't leave about my upbringing was the snow on the mountains in Utah. So I would go there to ski. The first time I went after that book came out, I was thinking, okay, I happened to something terrible. They're upset with me. And I had all my ski stuff on, my goggles. And I ran through the airport to a Starbucks because Mormons don't drink coffee. And I thought, okay, I'm hide out in here. And um, <laughs> I, I bought a coffee and I handed my, my money to the, the barista. And she gave me back my money and grabbed my hand and said, thank you for writing that book. And I was like, wow. okay, it was worth it all. You're like, that's it. Because here's the thing. Integrity is contagious. We all know what exponential growth rates are now and how fast something can be communicated if it's contagious. And if you are willing to be really in your own truth, it's like Byron Katie. She just sits around being incredibly free and people 
are sort of magnetically drawn to her. There is some power in the universe that is guiding us toward this and toward our teachers and toward the experiences that they're always happening for us, not to us. Everything. And it's all for that feeling of freedom and joy and homecoming you were talking about. Home. That energetic, that's someone who lives and is constantly directing themselves towards home, to the North Star, that I think you just energetically become an imprint of that for someone else. Yeah. I mean, you have mirror neurons in your brain that rearrange themselves to match the person um, across from you. And if you take, they've done studies where they take three people who don't know each other, wire up their brains, put them in a room together. They don't say a thing. After 20 minutes, everyone will have the same brain waves as the calmest person in the room. Everything wants to join with peace. Everything in us wants to join with calm, except for the frightened stories we have and our ways of trying to please others. When you drop that, the Dada Jing also says, care about other people's opinions and you become their prisoner. When you walk out of that prison, you are immediately in this state of energy that doesn't just help you and heal you, but it also reaches out to other people. Everything wants that energy. Animals will come to you. I talk in the book about wild animals coming to me, especially when I'm really dropped into that feeling. It's magic. The world is freaking so magic, Mark. The world really, is really magic. Is. And I think we forget that when we're in that state of trying to people please or trying to fit in. It disconnects us from the magic of the liberation of life. Like to feel, you know, and I think you were said before that we're in a time that we've really never had so much opportunity to see a different way of being. But also because of things like the internet, we can actually find other people who live with similar values. Yeah, that's really true. And um, one of the things that, sorry to pick on Mormons, but young Mormon um, kids are going out online and going, this doesn't look right. And, and getting so much more information and wisdom and being able to make informed choices so much younger than I was. I'm very optimistic about the world, even though I think it's going to hell in a handbasket. <laughs> <laughs> I think that when we can find ourselves and it becomes contagious, how fast did COVID-19 change every single city on earth? Like, bam, never in the history of the globe has everyone in the world been affected by the same one thing in such a powerful way. That's the potential of things like the internet. Like we can find our truth. We can find our community of truth. We, I call it wayfinding when I train people as supposedly as life coaches, but really it's like find your integrity, find your home. Yeah. And one of the things that I realized was happening was that all the new age stuff that I don't really believe in, it, it works for me. So I would be teaching people to do this stuff and I'd be like, you can't just manifest money by thinking about it and have it fall into your lap. And then it would happen to me. <laughs> and I think... <laughs> this is really strange. The law of attraction, I think it's stupid, but it works for me, but it doesn't work for my clients. And I realized integrity was the difference. If you have the courage to actually walk your truth away from your socialization and you're in truth, that's when you're part of the magic. Yes. That's when you're flowing in tune with the intelligence of the universe. And that really can create the miracles that they told you church would do. <laughs> I was lying. <laughs> <laughs> I was told the same lies. I never would have believed that either till I walked it. Like I remember when I wanted to start 
writing about relationships and love and talking about human connection on a different level of what was calling for my soul. Like this brings you alive, like go do what brings you alive. And I remember telling people who had experienced it, we're like, go do that. Like you can leave a job that doesn't fulfill you. You'll be supported. And I was like, that's such, you're smoking weed. Like, what are you on MDMA? Like, there's no way that's true. You can say bullshit, Mark. Right. It is. bullshit. (laughs) And then I, all of a sudden, when I started to answer the call, when I started to take the leaps, put my words out, take the risk of allowing myself to be seen and be celebrated for what I was actually, and, and that's what not what I was seeking, but it's nice to know that, and get controversy, of course, but wow, I now, t- I 100% agree with you. And I also have noticed in, because I started that, you know, I don't even know now, like eight, nine years ago. Now what I'm realizing is that as that produced a way of living and a way of being and a way of supporting myself and my family, I then was afraid of losing that in giving birth to more integrity. And then I realized I was really what Carolyn Mace calls like the prostitute archetype. We all are. She says that. Yeah, she does. Every single one of She's us funny. has been down that street. <laughs> yeah. And I, I never thought I, it wasn't conscious till I was like, oh, wait, I'm like afraid to express because I'm afraid to lose something. But this is the exact same version of every death and every birth. That's the pattern we're trained to just grab and grab and grab. And that's why I'm grateful to know Asian philosophy, because in the West, the idea is you build yourself toward perfection, whether that's as an atheist and you're, you have a million dollars in a penthouse in New York, or whether you're the Pope, you climb a ladder and it gives you what you want to be happy. That actually is not the case. The system won't give it to you. And then when you decide simply to walk away from it, the Buddhists and other Asian philosophies talk about non-attachment. And every time you learn to let it go, it's like lifting weights at the gym. It's not just that you've let go of that thing. That's not the point. The point is to repeatedly let go, like repeatedly lifting a weight. It's not to get the weight in the air. It's to have the effort of pushing it over and over so that those muscles get strong. And whenever you find yourself reattaching to the world and then splitting yourself, it's like building a muscle to say, oh, I'm doing it again. I'm in the archetype of the prostitute. I'm going yeah. to say goodbye to my pimps and, and my customers <laughs> and start a bakery in Maine right. or something. If we ignore those calls because I think we think it's crazy, but it's kind of funny. Well, it's not funny. It's kind of just... When you, I look back, you can recognize those calls that just like subtle excitement over a book or subtle excitement over yes. or wanting, hey, like, hey, I actually know how to do that. I can show you. Speak to that, please. That is the magic that you start getting pulled. And it really is like magnetism. So I always use the metaphor of compasses. You have inside you these inbuilt compasses, physical ones, emotional ones, spiritual ones, and they will always point to the next right step in your life's journey. But the thing about a compass is that the needle has to be free to swing. It can't get locked in, which is what happens with social institutions. Here's the way to go, end of story. And the needle can't swing. And that, it gets stuck or it's trying to turn and we go into all kinds of anguish and we don't even know why. It's very confusing. So if you can, if you're in one of those things, what I would recommend is get out in nature if you can And if you can't, just lock yourself in the bathroom for a while and get away from people because people keep the needle from swinging. Mm. And then just imagine that you could make any choice you wanted 
separate from social pressure. This is where Liz Gilbert starts in Eat, Pray, Love on the bathroom floor, sobbing to God that she doesn't want to be married. Marriage is keeping the needle from swinging. And when she finally decides on a divorce, she goes off on this round the world trip, which is awesome. But the even more interesting thing is that 13 million people felt magnetically pulled to read that book. I was one of them. Such an incredible book. I know. When you do something from integrity, it has a charge. You know, Liz is now a dear friend of mine. And she says, she was telling me, you know, there are people who come up and say, Eat, Pray, Love changed my life. It is the best book I've ever read. I, I worship it. And she said, I could pay them in gold to read the next book I wrote and they would not <laughs> read it. It was a book she wrote for her publishers. You know, it was a book she wrote because it went along the thing. And now I'm happily married. Same pattern she was in when she started Eat, Pray, Love. And she got out of it again, took her less time. But the reason Eat, Pray, Love had that magnetism to it was that it was about a person breaking all the social conventions and letting the needle swing and then following it due north. What do you think is the greatest challenge that people have in restoring integrity or recognizing it? The greatest challenge is what I'm writing about now. What's that? And that is fear. Hmm. Because... It's all about like getting to integrity is about knowing your truth. Like you can, if you're in Nazi Germany, go ahead and lie to the authorities, but don't lie to yourself Yeah, because lying to yourself is where you actually lose your sanity. People can always look at the harsh reality and say, we die. You know, I'm, I'm going to die. I'm going to lose my loved ones. I, if I don't have a job, I could starve. Like I never have before, but theoretically I could. And these are the deepest lies of our particular culture very materialistic, uh, very scarcity-based and fear-based, which is why we are just gobbling up things and trying to get enough, and we're destroying our own home. It's becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy. And it's because the fear seems so indubitable. If you're a material being, and that's all you are, and you are going to die, that's scary. And to get people to question that, it's so built into the culture and even into religion, you're going to die and you're going to go to hell if you don't do exactly what yeah. we say. So it's all about death, right? The extinction of self. If we really try to get to our, through our integrity and then we hit fear, it's the hardest thing of all. It's the hardest lie to untell. So I'm just, I've been working for a couple of years on the next book, which is about how to let go of an anxiety cycle that starts in one part of our brains. And the only way to get out of it is to go to the right hemisphere of your brain. And when you go there, it's complicated, but here's the point. When you stop focusing on your anxiety and lack and you actually shift your attention to a different part of the brain, you start to have mystical experiences, deeply creative, deeply powerful, magical experiences. People with left hemisphere strokes who lose their fear find themselves knowing, observing that they are an energy the size of the universe and that there is nothing but love and beauty and bliss even in darkness. I mean, it's a, it's a really transcendent spiritual experience. It's the opposite of that fear that drives our culture. And I think if we can, if a critical mass of people can step out of that fear and into this other way of thinking and being, it actually could change the consciousness of everyone on the planet and maybe actually preserve the ecosystems so we can all go on having fun. Do you think that is due to like that left hemisphere sort of home base that a lot of us 
live in? Do you think that's due to the overt academic, performative, outcome-oriented? You think it's due to that? Yeah, it's very um, left hemisphere dominated. And when you think about it, it's not like the whole world went that way. It didn't go that way for 100,000 years. There have been countless cultures that came and went and never destroyed the planet. <laughs> in Western Europe, right around the Industrial Revolution and the, the, the Age of Enlightenment, where people stopped uh, believing in magic and just said, it's only real if I can measure it physically, even if it's like love. No, it's not real because I can't measure it physically. That empirical materialist way of analyzing everything is super effective at making you powerful in a material way and getting you huge amounts of wealth and power. But as you move into that, which is all the left hemisphere of the brain, and now our whole culture is moving that way, and it went and took over the world because that's what it, it, it just wants stuff stuff, stuff. I'm afraid I need more stuff. So it spread around the world. We killed, enslaved, did horrible things to all the other cultures and came to dominate the planet. And it's all based on that one core lie that we should be afraid. And it's okay to do anything to anyone and anything. If you're scared, mm. we have to get past that. Maybe we can heal the world because we are one culture that's erupted in 100,000 years that has torn everything to shreds and tried to destroy all the other cultures. Yeah, we've villainized the cultures that are most connected to the planet, the ones that are most connected Absolutely. to the salmon, the connected to the deer, you know. People call them stupid. There's an anecdote from Carl Jung, the great psychoanalyst who was good friends with a Pueblo Indian chief named Chief Mountain Lake. And they were close enough that he finally said, look, what do you people think of us, us Anglos? And Mountain Lake said, we think you're crazy. We know you're crazy. Look at the way you act. And he says, you're always staring around and you want so much. What is it you want? We can't understand it. And then you say, you think with your head? And Jung is like, yeah, we think with our heads. And Mountain Lake's like, we don't. We think with this, and he gestured to his whole body and the whole ecosystem, it was all connected. It's all communicating different parts to each other. It's all meant to be harmonious, and we just chop it up with our guns, germs, and steel. Things are not going to go well if we keep doing that, except they will. They will. They're always working It'll all be fine out. one way or another. I always think of the planet. The planet's fine. The planet will just get rid of us totally. if there's a problem. You know, she's probably already a bit on the edge about that. Yeah, right. <laughs> that fear, you know, you spoke about the fear of death, which I, I totally agree sort of permeates our culture. It makes us materialistic. It makes us want to control everything. And it feeds materialism. It's interesting that in the act of avoiding death, we live as we are. We are dead to ourselves. You know? We live in dead. Yeah, we are the living dead. We are zombies chasing money. Look at, I mean, I'm, I'm in New York City right now, and I love the city with all its dynamism. But as I look out, I can see thousands of windows, and all of those look to me like prison. <laughs> you know, the people in there are cut off from the soil, from the, you know, the animals, and they're in these fluorescent lighted boxes and that's not how we evolved to live not even that long ago no a couple hundred years it's like this is a brand new thing it has unintended negative consequences for us it does not for the planet but for us yeah the consistent digitization of everything it's connecting us to more people but you know on a 
on a mass scale. We're not connecting as deeply with ourselves. There's a brilliant British neurologist named Ian McGilchrist, and he says the left hemisphere is a wonderful servant, but a terrible master. So what you want to do is use the whole brain, but we put the left, in, Einstein said, um, intuition is this huge gift and it's reason is meant to be its servant, but we lose the gift and put the servant in charge. So I'm not saying there's anything bad about the left hemisphere. I'm just saying we have to live in connection and relationship primarily, as your podcast points out. And within that, all the material things that we can make are wonderful because we're related to the world. We're related to the animals and the everything. So we will make them harmonious. How do we get back into that right hemisphere sort of experience? I'm so glad you asked. That's what I'm <laughs> writing about. You know that one sentence, I am meant to live in peace? It moves you over into the right side of the right side hippocampus, where um, where the sense of peace is located. The exercise I give in the way of integrity, where you look at your people pleaser and you look at the wild child that is your other self, and then you offer them both love. You look at them and study them until you can love them both at once. Then I ask the question, "Who are you?" Because you're not either one of them. Who's looking? Who's loving? And that's your true self. And that is also on the right side of the brain. So it puts everything in perspective. That was a really amazing exercise. I do remember that one. I'm so glad you liked it because that's exactly what it did. You're all about relationship. And that shift to that part of the brain is what allows us to work with relationship, which is the absolutely crucial network in which our lives have to exist. So. I'm so, so grateful for the work you're doing. Well, thank you to you. I mean, you've continued your book without even knowing, continued to call me towards my integrity and my expansion. And, oh, thank you. You know, I brought you into my life and now it has had the blessing of bringing it in to everyone, every listener's life. Thank you so much. First off, thank you for making the time. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you. Just so grateful to be able to have had this conversation. I, as I said, recorded as my fastest manifestation of conversation. And, <laughs> um, and thank you to Nick Onken for connecting us. Thanks, Nick. Thank you, Nick. We love you. Nick's an amazing photographer, so make sure you check him out. Martha, where can people find more of you? I, I'm on your list for your life coaching stuff too. Where can they get all that stuff? Yeah, it's all at marthabeck.com. Super simple. Or Amazon. Go buy a book normal places. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you. Thank you, Mark. Thank, thank you for giving so much of your life to what you're doing. It is one of the light spreaders. My heart is full talking to you. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. If this episode resonated with you, one of the best ways to support the show is to go subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any more. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to it, or share the episode with your community on Instagram or whatever social place you like to hang out. This helps get it into more people's ears, and I'm so grateful for your support, always. Thanks again for tuning in. Much love.